Father, we bless your name as we go into your word again. Send forth your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. Make your people wiser. Build up your body. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We shall continue with what we have already started. Marital unfaithfulness. Now we go to another kind of marital unfaithfulness, which is unfaithfulness of failure to give your body to your spouse. This is a major unfaithfulness that can promote sexual immorality in the lives of spouses who do not have a strong belief in the word of God or who are born again but they are not yet rooted in the word or who are not born again or who are born again but they are not yet rooted in the word of God. Giving your body to your spouse is a marital covenant. When you fail to give your body, you break the covenant. You are a covenant breaker. You are unfaithful. You are never to fail or refuse to give your body to your spouse. No matter what time, no matter when, no matter where. When I say no matter where, of course, you can't be like animals wanting to have sex on the road. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other reasonable situations. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Now concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife has not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. What this is saying is that you don't have authority to say no whenever your wife or your husband asks for your body in sex. No should not even be part of the agenda. Thank God for good health. I believe you will be in good health. You will not be sick. But if a spouse is sick, it will be obvious that he or she is sick. And no reasonable person will be demanding for sex when someone is dying and you need to save their life. But women have this common excuse. I'm tired. I'm tired. Maybe some men too. I'm tired. They're always tired. You need to readjust your mind and obey the scriptures in giving your body to your spouse. Every word of God is important. If the Bible has no word on it, then we know it's silent. But once it's not silent, it becomes as important as every other word of God. It becomes as important as thou shall not steal. It's as important as that because every word of God is important. Look at verse 4 again. The wife has not power of her own body, but the husband. Likewise also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. Let me read it in another version. Verse 4. Let's read verse 4 in the CEV. Contemporary English version. A wife belongs to her husband instead of to herself. And a husband belongs to his wife instead of to himself. Simple. So you belong to yourselves. Your body belongs to your wife. Your wife's body belongs to you. You have to see that way. That's what the scripture says. Your perspective about things should be the scripture's perspective. Your body belongs to your husband if you are the wife. Your body belongs to your wife if you are the husband. Let's read verse 5 in the KJV now. Let's go back to KJV. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, 
and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. That's a very clear command. Do not defraud one another of your bodies. Defraud ye not one another. Except it be with consent. If you withdraw yourself, it must be with consent. You have planned, you have agreed, okay, we are going to fast and pray at also time. Or my husband needs to fast and pray. If you have done the one that is general for the family, and your husband wants to do personal fasting, or the wife, or your wife wants to do personal fasting, encourage them to do that. It will bring some benefit for the family. But it cannot be something that has no end. Not something that has no end? No, certainly no. You plan it for a time, and after that, you reunite sexually again. Let's go back to CV version. Verse 1. Now, I will answer the questions that you asked in your letter. You asked, it is, best, is it best for people not to marry? Well, having your own husband or wife should keep you from doing something immoral. Husbands and wives should be fair with each other about having sex. A wife belongs to her husband instead of to herself, and a husband belongs to his wife instead of to himself. So don't refuse sex to each other unless you agree not to have sex for a little while in order to spend time in prayer then Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. NLT. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless... You both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Hallelujah. The instruction is very clear. It's a covenant to be in marriage. Marriage is a covenant and you covenanted to give your body to the man and vice versa. So if you fail to give your body to the man or the woman to whom you are covenanted in marriage, you are breaking the covenant. It's a great sin before God. Still, let's go to the Amplified Bible. Now, as to the matters of which you wrote, it is good, in bracket, beneficial, advantageous, for a man not to touch a woman, in square bracket, outside marriage, but... Because of the temptation to participate in sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his marital duty to his wife with goodwill and kindness, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have exclusive authority over her own body but the husband shares with her and likewise the husband does not have exclusive authority over his body but, it, but the wife shares with him do not deprive each other of marital rights except perhaps by mutual consent by mutual, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves unhindered to prayer, but come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you to sin because of your lack of self-control. Hallelujah. This is beautiful. 
is clear and very clear in the word of God. Some of us always think sex is a carnal thing. I don't have time for sex. Brother, sister, if you are married, you must have time for sex. If you knew you wouldn't have time for sex, you shouldn't have gotten married. But once you are married, you must have time for sex. You must give sex to your spouse the way the Bible commands. And do it with joy, not just shabbily. Some women give sex to their husbands in a very shabby way. Every man has an element of self-pride. That's not that's not the negative kind of pride now. Self-esteem, self-pride is in every human being. Now you give sex shabbily to a man and he's your husband. He may take it because he's under pressure. And he's far better than going to the hotel to meet a whore or take a mistress to the hotel or whatever. It's far better than going to an adulteress. He may take it, but if you continue to do so, you're oppressing him. It's a kind of oppression. Likewise, the husband, you should give sex to your wife honorably. Both of you must do that for yourselves. It should be given honorably, not shabbily, not as if the other person is a beggar. Not as if the other person is immoral or what does he want? What is all this that you want? No, 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 no. That was the agreement before you got married. So always remember, you have to give it. Whenever he wants your body, give him your body. Whenever she wants your body, give her your body. That's the command of scripture. Anything different from that is wrong because only the word of God is right. Somebody said the frequency of sex in my marriage is too high. God never set any upper limit or lower limit. It's as you want. But the sex drive of your spouse may vary from yours. Good if it's about the same. But most likely it's going to vary. Either the woman will have a higher sex drive, which is not usually the case, or the man will have a higher sex drive, which is usually the case. But whichever happens in your marriage, the usual one may not happen in your marriage. It might be your wife that has a greater sex drive than yourself. But whichever happens, you have to satisfy your spouse. That's the commandment of God. Satisfy your spouse sexually. A spouse that is sexually satisfied before he leaves the house will be sexually calm wherever he or she goes under normal conditions, all things being equal. But a spouse that is already starved of sex before he or she leaves home, it will be easy to tempt that kind of a person outside. If he happens to have a nasty secretary who dresses in funny ways, wears skimpy dresses, the man's body is already disturbed. It was under pressure from home because the wife has refused to give sex. Some women say, I'm tired. They never stop getting tired. You will have thought if someone is tired, maybe if she rests for 30 minutes or one hour or two hours good sleep, she will wake up and say, let's go. But not so. With some of our people who always get tired. She will be tired throughout that day. Tomorrow again, she's tired. Next tomorrow again, she's tired. It goes on like that for a whole week, two weeks, a month, two months, she's tired. That's abnormal. You have to realize that it's a sin. Not to give your body to your spouse. You are breaking the marriage covenant. And it is a severe unfaithfulness in marriage. When you don't give your body, you oppress the other person. Because you keep him or her under intense pressure. Which if care is not taken and if he or she is not strong spiritually, the tension might lead to immorality. You know, she's under pressure. It's like a, a bag under pressure. It can break up any time. If it keeps expanding and it's no longer able to contain, to break up. That's why the Bible says even when you fast, don't let it be a marathon on unending kind of fasting. Some people are very spiritual. Thank God for you. But think of your spouse. Think of your spouse when you want to fast. That you want to be spiritual does not mean you should not satisfy your spouse sexually. It was your choice to get married, remember. 
if you knew all you want to do is fasting and praying, then you shouldn't have gotten married at all. But once you have gotten married, it becomes compulsory for you to please your spouse. It's compulsory. You have to please your spouse. It's a command. It must be obeyed. If you put your spouse under, under undue pressure and you push him or her into sexual immorality, God will surely visit you for it. I mean, he will punish you for it. And he will demand his blood from you. If finally you send him to hell through that. Though, he too has a choice. He or she has a choice. And uh, you will answer questions. He or she will answer questions. But why contributing to somebody's destruction? You should contribute to their success and prosperity in the things of God, not to their destruction. The next kind of marital unfaithfulness we want to talk about now is the unfaithfulness or failure to give companionship. You and your spouse, the Bible says you are companions to each other. And there is a covenant between both of you to give each other quality companionship. Failure to do this amounts to marital unfaithfulness. Let's go to Malachi chapter 2 again. Malachi chapter 2 one more time. We're going to read the same verses 14 to 16, but now for a different reason and a different point. Yet, ye say, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Let's stop there. We've gotten what we want. If we need to, we go to the rest again. But what I want to bring out here is the word companion. The Bible describes your wife as your companion. You are companions to each other. No other person can play that role. Any attempt to use somebody else to replace your wife or your husband as companion is a great mistake, is a great error. And that immediately creates cracks in your marriage. Companionship means association as companion. It means fellowship. A companion is a person who is frequently in the company of, associates with, or accompanies another. To associate with means to connect or bring into relation. Companionship speaks of constant fellowship and participation in each other's lives. There should be a bonding together, a connection. There should be lots of doing things together, thinking together, planning together, brainstorming together, working together, fighting battles together. I'm talking of spiritual battles now. All the battles we have to fight are spiritual. We don't fight carnal battles. Also, praying together, studying together, meditating together. When you agree with God to be companions to each other, you will begin to know a greater depth of intimacy and goodness and God's blessings and favor in your marriage. To understand the word better, sometimes we check the synonyms. And I want us to do that at this time. The synonyms of companionship are friendship. Fellowship, closeness, togetherness, amity, intimacy, rapport, camaraderie, brotherhood, sisterhood. Amity means peaceful fellowship, peaceful harmony. It also means kindly concern, interest, or support. Camaraderie means comradeship, good fellowship. All these shades of meaning that we have mentioned must exist between you and your spouse. 
there must be good fellowship, there must be comradeship or camaraderie, there must be brotherhood or sisterhood, there must be amity, there must be intimacy, there must be closeness, there must be togetherness. Companionship is the state of being friends, but it goes deeper than what qualifies to be called just friendship because it speaks of a closeness or familiarity a true fellowship among two people who for whatever reason have fully connected their lives together some friends may not be qualified to be referred to as companions companionship speaks of someone to hang out with and do things together with from the things we have looked at as the meaning of the word companionship, you should understand that it will be impossible for your spouse to feel lonely if you are really giving quality companionship to each other. In a marriage where both spouses, husband and wife, give to each other quality companionship as the Bible teaches, there will be no loneliness. It is very wrong for you to allow your spouse to feel lonely. If that happens in your marriage, it's a sign that you're unfaithful because that means you are not giving the quality companionship that the scripture teaches that you give to your spouse. If your spouse, your wife, or your husband feels lonely in your marriage, that means you are allowing your spouse to live like a widow or a widower, even though you are still alive. And that's very, very bad. Things must change. As from today onward, you must begin to give quality companionship to your spouse. Let's proceed to look at another kind of unfaithfulness in marriage. The unfaithfulness or failure to leave others, including your parents, your siblings, your relations, so as to be able to unite with your spouse i say that again now we want to look at the unfaithfulness of failure to leave others including your parents your siblings your blood relations so as to be able to unite or cleave with your spouse in a unique way god commands that you leave your parents your father and mother so you can cleave to your spouse the living must come before the cleaving. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 to 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. It's a command from God that a man should leave his father and mother. The leaving must come before the cleaving or the uniting. Biblical marriage demands for living and cleaving. Now we are still talking about the living part of this command. You cannot cleave as God wants unless you leave. A man must leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The wife too must leave, even though the emphasis here is mainly for the man, but the wife must leave also. The wife must leave her father and mother. Both of them must leave the father and mother in order to cleave to each other. Father and mother there is used to stand for all kinds of blood relations. Those are the strongest ties that single people have. This command to leave your father and your mother is not a command to abandon them. No, God will not say that. But to separate, to disconnect 
so that you can unite and connect with your spouse. You need to separate, to detach or disconnect from all others so as to be able to bond or cleave with your spouse. As a human being, you do not have unlimited capacity to bond with others. The capacity you have to bond with people is very limited. You are to reserve it for your spouse. Let's learn a lesson from chemical elements. Chemical elements make bonds with one another by virtue of the number of electrons they have in their outermost electron share. Hence, there is a limited number of bonds they can make with other, with other elements. The number of electrons in the outermost shell of a chemical element determines the number of chemical bonds it can make with other elements. Hence, there is a limited number of bonds they can make that each element can make with other elements. Now I understand human beings are not chemical elements, but there is something we can learn from this. Uh, we cannot speak of humans as having electron shells. That's not the point now. But we can say in a similar way that human beings have limited capacity to bond with others. You can't bond with everybody. Your capacity to bond with other humans is limited. And God wants you to reserve this capacity for bonding with your spouse. As a married person, you are to reserve this capacity for bonding with your spouse. It is wrong for you to bond with anyone to the detriment of bonding with your spouse. And you are supposed to spend time nurturing the bond between you and your spouse to make sure it's growing stronger, it's getting stronger and stronger as the days go by. Your bonding to your spouse, your bonding together with your spouse, in order of priority should come next to bonding with God. Don't forget this commandment has two sides, the side of living, then the side of cleaving. And both are very important. Both must be obeyed. Let's go to the other side now. The unfaithfulness or failure to cleave to your spouse. I've said it that the reason why you need to leave is so that you can cleave with your spouse. The word cleave in Genesis 2, 24 to 25 means to join together, to bond together strongly and inseparably to fuse together inseparably to unite together inseparably it means to adhere closely to stick to cling together if you fail to unite with your spouse in this way it amounts to marital unfaithfulness the outcome of this cleaving is that you become one not two anymore you don't remain two but you become one Let's go back and read that scripture again. Genesis chapter 2 again, verses 24 to 25. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They become one person, one body. The Hebrew word translated flesh in this place is boso. It means flesh directly, and by extension it means body. It means person. So God is saying the two of you are to become one body, one person. No longer two separate persons. The unity is to be so great that you become one person. You become one body. The implication of becoming one person is very much, is very great. The implications are very great. It means whatever affects your spouse affects you. It means if you are about to make a decision... You don't only think of how it affects you, but also how it affects your spouse. It means you do things together. You are united in plan, in purpose, in every area of life. Plan for, including plan for spiritual life, 
including plans for spiritual life, plans for ministry, for finances, career plans, even plan for leisure, plan for recreation. Everything must be planned and executed together. It means you do not permit anyone to come in between. This is what I've said to you many times. If there are issues to be ironed out, it's wrong for you to go and tell your father or your mother to speak to your spouse. No, it's wrong. Those are the people God said you should leave so that you can cleave or unite perfectly with your spouse. So if there are issues to be ironed out, then why should you now go and call them? That means you have not left them. You have disobeyed that command to leave. For this purpose shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to him. must leave in order to cleave. must leave your father and mother, old friends, all those who are close to you before can no longer remain close. Otherwise, you have not left them so you can cleave to your spouse. That's the way you are going to enjoy your marriage. That's the way you are going to have a blissful marriage. If you disobey this command to leave others, whether they are blood relations, father, mother, siblings, friends, intimate friends, so as to be able to cleave inseparably to your spouse, you cannot enjoy the kind of blissful marriage that God has intended for you. You want to enjoy it, then you have to obey the commands and the guidance of the Holy Scriptures. Everything that happens in your marriage, before a small thing happens, you have called Uncle Sam, Uncle Rex, Auntie Rebecca. That, those are signs that you have refused to leave. And so you cannot live together. Never talk to your blood relations about your marriage. If you still do so, it's a sign you have not obeyed this command of God. Never talk to your friends about your marriage. If you do so, it's a sign you have no command of God. Then you might say, who can you talk to? Talk to your pastor. Because it's the one God has appointed to minister to you in your spiritual life and every area of life. By teaching you the word of God, by giving you wisdom from the word of God. Let's go to another kind of unfaithfulness in marriage. This is number six. This is the unfaithfulness of failure to be naked together and not be ashamed. Genesis 2.25 And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The import of this is that there is so great a kind of openness between them. And what God is teaching to us about this is that we must be completely open. To be naked together and not be ashamed speaks of transparency. That's the lesson God wants us to learn about this. That's the lesson God wants us to learn from this. Transparency. Being totally open to each other. Hiding nothing at all. Having no secrets. You are not supposed to have any secret agenda that your spouse does not know. When you are transparent to your spouse, it means you don't deliberately hide things from your spouse. And that includes your pay slip. You don't hide your text messages, your phone calls, your WhatsApp messages, email messages, etc. You are not supposed to hide them from your spouse. If you hide them from your spouse, then that means your marriage is not healthy. It means you are unfaithful. It means you have secret agenda. It means you are doing some things you don't want your spouse to know about, which is very wrong. It is very absurd as a husband to say that your wife should not read your text messages, the text messages in your cell phone. Or as a wife to snatch your phone from your husband and say he should not read the text messages in your cell phone. That's horrible. What kind of a spouse are you? If you do that, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have to look for the right word. I can't see a word that describes how horrible you are as a married person. Because that means in your mind you are not married at all. That attitude reveals you have things to hide, and it reveals your unfaithfulness in your marriage. There are so many areas into which we can apply this truth. All we need to do is understand it and apply it to every area of life. We may not be able to mention everything here, 
But understand that you are to apply it to every area of your life and your marriage. If you hide things from your wife, like your text messages or WhatsApp messages or emails or things like that, you have conversations on phone that you switch off your phone when your husband is approaching. Now, that's horrible. What kind of a person are you? If you do that to your husband or your wife, then you really need to repent. It means you are very unfaithful as a spouse, whether as a husband or as a wife. It means you are trying to get married just in the body and your mind is not set for the marriage. You need to repent. And that kind of an attitude can even take you to hell because it will make you a liar. It will make you a deceiver. Please repent from all this. Don't let your marriage take you to the lake of fire. Marriage is supposed to be a blessing. It's not supposed to be something that will take you to the lake of fire. But if in marriage you become a deceiver, and then your marriage is taking you to hell. Please repent once and for all and determine to manifest openness in your marriage. Let's go to point number seven. The unfaithfulness or failure to love each other as the Bible commands. Love is the principal thing that will uphold your marriage. I'm talking of biblical love. If you fail to love your spouse as the Bible commands, it is a great unfaithfulness in marriage. Some people got married because they love themselves, not because they love the spouse they married. Like a man who just got married because he needed a wife to cook food and just somebody to be in the house to take care of the house. Somebody to make babies for him. So the foundation was not love. Or a woman who just got married because she needed somebody to make her a missus so-and-so. She was tired of staying in her father's house. She needed a husband, but she is not ready to love a husband. Beloved, both husband and wife must repent from all this. You married from a wrong standpoint because, just you, because you just wanted a woman in your house to cook, to do other things and make babies for you. Or you married because you got tired of staying in your father's house as a woman. You need to get off from those wrong platforms and come to the right platform of the scriptures to love each other so that your marriage can be blissful the way God has planned for it to be blissful. Hallelujah. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 31. Husbands, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. It is a clear command of God to the husband to love his wife. Any failure to do that is disobedience to God and it is marital unfaithfulness. But take note, the love that God wants the husband to have for his wife includes a love that purifies. The love that makes the man desire purification and sanctification for the life of the spouse. That must be there. If it's not there, something great is missing. And uh, not many marriages have this dimension of marital love, as God has commanded here. Take note of what he says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That kind of love must be in your marriage, that desires to have your wife sanctified. Look at verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So that dimension of love must be in your marriage. 
the love you have for your wife to make sure she is holy and without blemish before God. Because verse 28 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. So you are to love your wife to the extent that you care for her spiritual life. You care that she turns away from every iniquity. You care to have her spiritual life sanctified. You care to have her spiritual life upgraded to higher levels in God. If this is not present in your, in your marital love, a great dimension is missing. And a lot of marriages, they compromise this. No correction. No help for spiritual life. Everything the wife says, they just keep quiet. Sometimes, peace can be obtained by compromise. That's not the kind of peace God wants us to have. Some peaceful marriages are ungodly marriages. A peaceful marriage is not necessarily a godly marriage. Actually, many of them are ungodly marriages. Because the peace is obtained by compromise. Because the husband compromises the truth. The wife also compromises the truth. The wife never tells the husband anything sinful that the husband is doing. You are not to command your husband, but you can point it out. My darling, this thing does not agree with scriptures. My darling, let's look at the scriptures. Does he agree with it? God wants both of you to work together for the promotion of your spiritual lives. It's so bad in some marriages that some husbands defend the errors of their wives. They never admit their wife does anything wrong. Even when the pastor is castigating the wife, they take side with the wife against the pastor. The pastor must be wrong because they are blinded by deception. Not by love. I will not say love. Love is not blind. Whoever told you love is blind told you a lie. Love is not blind. Love sees with the eyes of God. And that's the greatest vision, greatest sight you can ever have. So love is far from being blind. It is lost that is blind. Some people are blinded by the wrong relationship between them and their spouse because this dimension of love, marital love, that sanctifies, that purifies, that desires sanctification and purification for one spouse is missing. It's not there. It means in that marriage there is no truth. Truth is not spoken. Truth has fallen to the ground in a marriage like that. How is your marriage? Are you in a marriage in which truth has fallen to the ground? Or are you in a marriage in which truth is spoken? I'm talking of truth that agrees with scripture. And never forget it, a peaceful marriage is not necessarily a godly marriage. A happy marriage is not necessarily a godly marriage. A happy marriage, a peaceful marriage, is not necessarily a successful marriage. Because people can obtain peace and happiness by compromise. There are lots of ungodly couples, ungodly husband, ungodly wife, living in sin, who live together peacefully and even happily. And both of them are on the way to hell. So a, a, a happy marriage, a peaceful marriage, is not necessarily a godly marriage. God wants you to have a godly and happy and peaceful marriage. Or you have to begin with the godliness. Don't allow truth to fall to the ground in your marriage. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Also a clear command of God. Love your wives and do not be bitter against them. God wants you to manifest real love and don't be bitter against your wife. The fact that I've said correct your wife does not mean bitterness you come in. Truth must be spoken, but must be spoken in love. Truth must not fall to the ground in your house. Let's read Isaiah 59, verse 14. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is falling in the street, and equity cannot enter. Look at that. Truth is falling in the street. This was the situation in Israel in the days of Isaiah. And he lamented. So don't let that be the situation in your house. Don't let truth fall to the ground in your house. Make your house a place the truth is spoken. And spoken in love. But it must be spoken. Don't get compromised peace or happiness that will lead you and your spouse to hellfire. Ananias and Sapphira had peace. Because they were united in the evil they were doing. And I guess they were happy too, but it led to their destruction. 
because it was obtained by compromise. By compromising, by sacrificing the truth. Don't do that to yourself. Don't destroy your life. Don't destroy your family. Let's go to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God has filmed. This is the standard of the Holy Scriptures. Women are also commanded to love their husbands. It's not only the husband that is commanded to love the wife. So that love must be manifested in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. All the ingredients of love mentioned in that place must manifest in your marriage. Maybe you have forgotten. Let me remind you the ingredients. We will not have time to do exposition on them. That alone is a, is a school on its own. First Corinthians 13, from verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have no charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have no charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have no charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We won't have time to do exposition of that. All the ingredients of love mentioned here, that is the meaning of love. They must reflect in the way you love your spouse, you love your husband, you love your wife. Take note of Titus 2 verse 5. The women should be discreet, should be chaste, should be keepers at home. The Bible makes it principally the duty of the woman to keep the home. Nothing is wrong if the husband helps. But the Bible says it's the duty of the man. So if you don't keep your home, it's a failure in marriage. Keep us at home good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The woman is commanded to keep the home, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be obedient to her husband, so that the word of God will not be blasphemed. Another kind of unfaithfulness that we want to look at is the failure of the husband to do his best in providing for his household, for his wife, for his children. Let's go to First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. God wants you to do your best in providing for your wife and your children. Not just anything. You are not supposed to give them just anything you see. You must give them the best that God has enabled you to give to them. If you fail to do this, it is an unfaithfulness in marital life. It shows you are not faithful to obey the word of God and to provide for your wife and your children in the best way God has provided for you and bless you. Sexual unfaithfulness in marriage also leads to this problem, to cause the husband to be unfaithful in providing for his house 
Because if he spends money on concubines, on girlfriends, on strange women, then there's no how he's going to have enough money to spend on the true family, his wife and children that are in the house. Sin never gives back to anything good. It always gives back to evil. That's why you should not allow it in your life. Whatever may be the cause, God wants you to avoid the sin or failure to provide for your wife and children the best way God has provided for you. Whatever may be the cause of you doing that is not acceptable before God. It's a sin. And it amounts to unfaithfulness in marital life. God wants you to repent from this if you are guilty of this. God wants you to avoid this if you are not yet guilty of it. Don't fall into it. Hallelujah. Now, there is need for a little caution here. Women are not to take this scripture and twist it to the other side and begin to nag and bother their husbands, provide this for me, provide this for me, and demand it for things you know is beyond their ability or things you know we put the priority of the house upside down. You are not supposed to do that. That amounts to wickedness against your husband, against the truth, against the family. Um, providing for the family, the wife, the children, should not be to the detriment of your giving to God because your giving today determines your future tomorrow. It's not your tithes, your offerings, the things you should give to God to serve him that you will spend to take care of your family. That does not agree with scriptures. Check your Bible and read it properly. You want financial promotion in your family, you and your wife must agree to be tithers. You must agree to be people who give tithe to God to serve God. You must agree to you must agree to be people who don't stop at giving tithes, but they give offerings to God for various things. You must agree to give at a standard that is commensurate with what we find in scriptures. Not just any kind of substandard giving and then you are claiming you are giving. Both of you also should agree to give to the needy because it's a key to blessings. It's one of the keys to being blessed financially before God. Exploit all the keys of blessings that God has put in the scriptures. Exploit all of them. This subject is not given, so I'm not going to go into that. We have taught on that before several times. All the keys, there are various keys to financial blessings. Tithes and offerings are part of the keys. Tithes, one. Offerings, two. There are other keys. Giving to the needy is also another key. So exploit all the keys to financial blessings, to financial promotion that God has put, that God has revealed in the holy scriptures and lead your wife in doing this take the lead as the man you are to take the lead don't stay behind that's how to move your family forward into the blessings of the living god never forget what i said as a godly woman you should not be demanding for things you know they are beyond the financial capabilities of your husband or things you know we put the priority of the house upside down. That's not good. Don't do that. And as a husband, do your best in providing for your spouse, for your wife, and for your children. Don't go and spend the money God has given to you on foolish things to the extent that you will not have enough money to take care of your family. Don't spend, don't spend the money God has given you on foolish things. Don't do it at all. Even if you say you still have money to take care of your family, spending your money on foolish things is a sin against God. And it can lead to financial problems. Another kind of marital unfaithfulness I will mention before we stop today is the unfaithfulness of failure to obey your husband as a woman. The Bible clearly commands that the husband is the head of the wife. But some women want to struggle with the husband for that headship. They want to take the lead. They want to dictate. Even if the husband speaks, they don't want to obey. Or obey half of the time, don't obey half of the time. They are all bad. It amounts to a gross 
a gross disobedience to scriptures, disobedience to God, and it amounts to unfaithfulness in marriage. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. It's a clear command from the Holy Spirit that women should obey their husbands. If you don't do so, you are disobedient to God and you are unfaithful in your marriage. Because that's contrary to the pledge you made on your wedding day. That means you are a truce breaker. You are a covenant breaker. Titus 2 verse 5. Reading it again now for a different reason. To be discreet, chaste, keep us at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband, verse 23, verse 23 now, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. In everything, the Bible says. The Bible does not say in some things, or in few things, or half of the time. Or it says in everything and always. God expects you, if you are a godly woman and you want to be a godly woman, God expects you to obey your husband. He expects you to be in subjection to your husband, to obey him, to respect his authority. He's the head of the house. Don't struggle with him for this. Verse 24. It says, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ. How is the church subject unto Christ? Is it partially or totally? Of course, totally. And he says, so let the wives be to their own husbands in how many things? In everything, it says. In everything. If a woman cannot submit to her husband, then she's proud. And pride, and pride will lead you to the lake of fire. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read from verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So the head of the woman is man. That's the point we are trying to make very clear. Don't follow the teachings of modern women who are in the women's liberation movement and who claim the husband and the wife, none is greater in authority. They can do what they like in their homes. Their husbands cannot tell them what to do. That's an evil and satanic movement. I'm not honestly saying everything they say is wrong. Uh, Oppression of women should not be tolerated. The Bible is against it. Those are some of the things they fight against. But they have done it to the extent that it, it, it has led them into disobedience of the scriptures. It has gone against the Holy Scriptures. Whatever goes against Holy Scriptures is evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. For the man is not. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Never forget that. The woman was created for the man. When God made the woman in the beginning, he said he will make a helper for the man. So you are supposed to be a helper. For your husband, we cannot exhaust this subject at this time. Some other time. You are supposed to be a helper to your husband. A helper follows. You are, supposed, you are not supposed to take the lead or take over the government. Whatever God has sent your husband to do, God says help him to achieve it. The woman was created for the man to be a perfect helper. The reason for the creation of the woman was the man. That means if the man had not been made, there would have been no need to make the woman. So don't exalt yourself above your measure. I think I will stop here. Our time is up. Some other time, we we'll try to talk more about that because we have not uh, seen many things we don't have time to talk about.
Let me stop here. Let me stop here for today.